Hello, welcome to the Wednesday, October 19th, 2016 edition of the Sands and Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich and today I'm recording from Baltimore, Maryland. Thanks to data submitted by a listener, we came across an interesting behavior of Windows 10 and certain types of proxies. These proxies are different from normal proxies in the way that they are in front of multiple servers that actually serve different protocols. In this particular case, we do have an HTTPS web server, we do have an SSH server behind the same proxy listening on the same port. This is commonly done to be able to expose multiple services on port 443 if, for example, corporate networks only allow outbound port 443 traffic. The proxy will receive the connection and then decide which one of the servers behind it is most appropriate to answer. Now apparently what's happening here is that Windows 10 is rather specific in its initial client hello. If you're connecting with Internet Explorer or Edge to a web server, the first client hello will only allow for TLS 1.2. If that fails, then it will allow anything between TLS 1.0 and 1.2. Now, in this particular case, if the web server behind that proxy doesn't support TLS 1.2, then the proxy will actually forward the connection to the SSH server. The very interesting observation that you'll end up with here is that you have a web browser connecting to what looks like to be a website, but in return, you're getting an SSH banner. Of course, Internet Explorer will then reissue the client hello in the version variable way and the connection will succeed. There will be a little bit of delay, but if you have an intrusion detection system that alerts you on SH banners on odd ports, you will get an alert that uh, you just connected to an SSH server on port 443, which is correct. The one proxy that I was able uh, to reproduce this behavior with is HA proxy. There is a very similar proxy, SSLH, which works similarly, but seems to be dealing better with these uh, TLS 1.2 handshakes. So this is not really malicious behavior. This is also not a vulnerability necessarily in these proxies. Not really sure what I should call it. Don't really want to call it a false positive either because it is actually an SSH connection that is sort of trying to set itself up here. And if you don't inspect or intercept a port 443 traffic, you certainly do want to look for behavior like that because it's certainly possible for someone to use an server that listens on port 443 to exfiltrate data. And it looks like the dire banking malware is back. And now over the last year, it pretty much has disappeared around November or so last year. We've seen some of the last samples of it and uh, there was some news that the disappearance of this malware also coincided with some arrests in Russia. Of course, since then, ransomware sort of has taken everything over and everybody's attention, but the banking malware is certainly still out there and looks like dire came back as 
TrickBot. Fidelis is reporting about seeing it in the wild in September and it is mostly targeting Australian banks at this point. Now it does share a lot of code with Dyer but apparently they did some major replumbing of how everything sort of works together and also removed a lot of code. And over the last years, Apple has taken a lot of precautions in order to make it difficult for stolen iPhones to be resold. Most importantly, the activation lock makes it very difficult for someone to use a stolen iPhone unless they know the victim's uh, Apple ID password. Now we have seen in the past where sometimes uh, the thief sort of uses social engineering by sending email messages with password reset and phone found uh, messages uh, to the victim in order to trick them into giving up uh, their password. But uh, there's a nice blog post by Renato Marino that does outline other ways how an attacker, how a thief may be able to get to your Apple ID password and ultimately be able to unlock your phone. One method, for example, is by removing the SIM card from the phone and plugging it into another phone. Doing so, of course, you will be able to receive SMS messages and you also will then be able to know what the phone number is of the stolen phone. So, for example, you can use that for password resets. Also, if the phone is able to connect to a Wi-Fi network or such and does display messages on the lock screen, you may be able to see, for example, again, these one-time codes that are being sent as part of password resets, which again allows an attacker to reset your password and then unlock the phone. Two things that you can do to protect yourself, or actually three things. Uh, you can add a pin to your SIM card, so it will not work if it's being removed from the phone. You can also, and you should definitely set up two-factor authentication for your Apple ID account, and any other account really, that you use with your phone, because the password reset via SMS can work also with other accounts, not just the Apple ID account. And then of course, uh, limit what's being shown on the lock screen in particular, SMS messages and such, WhatsApp or other messages that would be used in order uh, to send uh, you password uh, reset confirmations should not be displayed on the phone's lock screen. Well, that's it for today. So thanks again for listening. And if you like this podcast, uh, please consider tweeting about it or leave a good review on some security site for this or just tell your friends about it. Uh, I do it because people listen to it. That's it for today. Thanks for listening and talk to you again tomorrow. Bye.